Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us. If you're new around here, my name is Matthew and one of the pastors. It's a joy to have you here today. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, open up to Matthew chapter 24. If you didn't bring a printed copy of the scriptures, it's all right. You can follow along digitally, pull out your phone and there's a QR code on the screen that you can scan It'll take you to a spot on our central hub where you can follow along with the scriptures, but also notes and a spot where you can add in your own notes, email it to yourself later. Um, and that way you can refer back to this throughout the week and really grab all that God is saying to you. We've been talking about the King Jesus gospel and looking lately at the words of Jesus as he's talked to us and talked about his second coming, his return. What does that look like? What should we be thinking and looking for? And today, he's beginning to not just tell us about his return. He wants to help us know how to prepare and be ready for his return. So we're going to get into some, some different things today. Let's get into the word, Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. These are the words of Jesus. A faithful, sensible, somebody say sensible. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, you know, my master won't be back for a while. And he then begins to beat the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like hell, because it is. Hey, let's pray. Jesus, help us not be stupid. Amen. Jesus is letting us know there is a sensible servant, and there are foolish servants. There are those who are waiting with wisdom, and those who are waiting and living with folly. Both, don't miss this, are his servant. Friends, today I want to talk to you about this, this one big idea, and we're going to unpack it and look at it in a couple different ways, but here's the main idea today. That the radiant people of God are prudent in their preparation. They are prudent in their preparation. It's not that we won't be surprised when Jesus returns because we're all going to be surprised when he returns. He said last week, we looked at the text, no one knows when he's coming back. Jesus himself doesn't know when he's going to return. All he knows is that when the father says go, he's going to go. So the only one in all of the universe who knows when Jesus is going to return is the father. And so Jesus is saying, hey, it's going to be a surprise to all of you. Don't worry about it. So while you're waiting, wait with anticipation, but do it with prudence. Do it sensibly. Do it with some wisdom. Don't be a fool. Don't 
be an idiot. One of the things that he wants us to do, I really do believe, as we live our lives awaiting his return, is hear me, live our life. We don't have to avoid living our life. But rather, we need to recognize that we are to live a certain way. We're to live as ambassadors who represent the abundant life of Jesus. This is how we are to live. This is what it looks like to live faithfully, sensibly, with wisdom rather than in foolishness. In fact, last week in the verses 24, 38 through 40, we saw that Jesus said, hey, when I return, people are going to be, they're going to have a good time. They're going to be attending parties. There's going to be weddings. There's people going to be working and working hard to produce something in life. It's going to be normal everyday living. And then I'm, and I'm going to return. We're supposed to live our lives, but not live our lives for ourselves. Live our lives on purpose as ambassadors who represent and demonstrate the flourishing life of God in this world. We're called to live a certain way. And Jesus wants to contrast two types of living. There are those who are living sensibly and those living stupidly. There are those who are living with wisdom and those who are living with folly. Both types of people are his servant. He's not talking about the difference between those who love God and those who are hellions. He's talking about the people of God. How there are some people of God who are living with wisdom and some people with, of God who are not living with wisdom. And Jesus begins to contrast this. He says, hey, there's going to be some, they're going to they're having a good time, they're going to be living, there's going to be responsibility, and I can trust them. Then there's another group of people who aren't trustworthy. They're mistreating other people around them. They're partying all the time, getting drunk, and they are trying to pursue life's pleasures, but not fully grasping true life. They're living for themselves and forgetting that Jesus had already said, what does it profit a person to gain everything by the world's standard but yet forfeit their souls? This is what he's reminding us of. That there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. There is wise ways of living and foolish ways of living. And he's looking for those that he can entrust to them. In fact, Jesus is pulling from Proverbs. Proverbs is an Old Testament book. It had a lot of writings primarily by King Solomon who was considered the wisest man who ever lived the earth. And Solomon had had put together this group of writings, these wise sayings to help us live in God-honoring ways and to live the life that God wants us to live in. In fact, Jesus would have been well acquainted with Proverbs. Why? Because Jesus believed that the ancient scriptures were true. And Jesus taught referencing those same scriptures. He was pulling from Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs chapter 9, to be more specifically, Proverbs chapter 9 articulates the difference between someone who lives with wisdom and someone who lives foolishly. It uses the phrase lady wisdom and lady folly. Lady wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but lady folly begins with boisterousness. Lady wisdom works hard. Lady folly is lazy. Lady wisdom gives what is hers. Lady Folly steals and hides. 
Lady Wisdom gives of uh, or serves others, but Lady Folly is only self-serving. Wisdom is one who pleads for foolish people to turn and change and receive real life, while the foolish, well, their life themselves just ends in destruction and death. Wisdom teaches others about wisdom. That's called discipleship. But yet, foolishness only teaches others about deception. Proverbs is contrasting between wise living and foolish living. Jesus is bringing it back to help you live wisely instead of foolishly. Why? Because he is coming again and the people who are prepared for his return need to wait for his return with wisdom, with prudence, sensibly. The question then that we need to explore and ask is how can we live a life of wisdom? How can we live a life of without stupidity how can we live a life avoiding the fool and playing the part of the fool and instead being people who grow in wisdom in the ways of God because Jesus is returning and he wants you to be prepared when he returns I thought it was interesting that the uh, the, the the foolish people were the ones who thought to themselves and assumed it's going to be a long time before he comes back I got plenty of time the foolish person was the one who's like, hey, let's throw a party. Mom and dad are gone. They'll never find out. We'll get it all cleaned up. I'll make, we'll make repentance and repairs and clean the whole house before mom and dad come back. It'll be okay. Surely we won't get caught. Anybody foolish enough to have believed that when you were a teen? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. We don't need to like start a confession moment. Like, oh yeah, mom and dad, they're going to be gone forever. I got plenty of time before they come back. The house will be fine. And then surprise, mom and dad came back before you thought they came back. There is a difference between living with wisdom and living according to folly. I wonder how many people who believe they are ready for the return of the Lord are living but not with wisdom, rather with folly. Again, we're not talking about those who are believers versus unbelievers. We're talking about those who believe that he's coming again talking about church folk people who show up week in and week out people who know that there is truth know that Jesus is the way know that things are happening know that their life matters know that these things are going to come about knows that what they do on this earth matters they, they know those things they know he's coming but some are living with more prudence sensibleness wisdom and others are living with more foolishness and foolish assumptions Jesus continues talking about wisdom and folly as he tells a parable beginning in Matthew chapter 25. Now, for those who are new studying scripture, the chapters and the verse references in our printed Bibles and digitally were not a part of the original manuscripts. Those were added later on by publishers and printers and translators to help you be able to find where something was. Because when they were originally written in the manuscript, it was just one long scroll. Can you imagine just scrolling? Wait, no, that's not it. Where did it go? Hold on, let me find it. I know I saw it in here somewhere. Where did it go? Like they added the references for ease of the reader to be able to find and learn and find their place. What, what, why am I telling you that? Because Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are all the same conversation. Jesus didn't stop. I know that's broken up in your Bibles between chapter 24 and chapter 25, but again, 
It's just there for our sake. In other words, Jesus is continuing the same conversation and thought. Wisdom, foolishness. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 25. This is the parable Jesus says. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids. How many? Who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were, what's that word? Oh, I wonder if it's all connected. Let's keep reading. Five of them were foolish and five were? Oh, come on. Five were? Very good. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps, and then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus wraps it up by saying this. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. How should we wait and live while we're waiting for his return? Here's how we do it. We await in anticipation, but not in isolation. They were together. They were there. Five were wise. Five were foolish. If it was just about the, the oil, if it was just about wisdom and folly, if it was just about you in your own life, in your own culture, in your own faith, in your personal relationship, if it was only about you and yourselves, he would have only used two, but there were ten. There was a group. There was five and five. And so we want to wait with anticipation, but not isolation. Now, I, I, want, to he, I want you to hear me. I am talking about being with the people of God, but that's secondary to the primary thought. And that thought is this, Jesus said when he left this earth, he was not going to leave you abandoned or orphaned or all by yourself. But instead, he was sending someone to be with you, to help you walk his ways and live in truth. Look at John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. It says this, on the, uh, on the last day of the, the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, when he said living water, he was speaking, of course, of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. In John 14, we read and he says this, if you love me, obey my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another. What's that word? Advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Pause. 
Jesus did not say, and it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's the third person of what we can call the Trinity, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not an impersonable force. It is a spirit, but it's designed and he operates as an advocate like a person that you can develop a relationship with. Not an int, it, that is impersonable, but rather a spirit that is personable, living and alive and animating your life. Jesus said, it is, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. That was just really kind of a confusing way of Jesus telling you, hey, listen, me and the Holy Spirit, we got a relationship, so you know what the Spirit wants to do and what's to look like and how he wants to operate in your life because you see me living and operating in this world right now. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit the moment of his baptism, actually from the moment of his conception according to the scriptures, and he lived this life as a man empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus came to model to you and to me how we live a life in relationship to the Father and the Spirit because they are three in one and that's what Jesus was articulating for them there I don't have time to unpack that theologically for you but it's there for you nonetheless Jesus said I want you to wait with anticipation but I'm not asking you to wait in isolation I want to give you an advocate now in this passage we see 10 bridesmaids and they're waiting with their lamps of oil they're waiting for the bridegroom to return now in ancient near east the wedding was the weddings that took place had had a lot of parts to it and symbolism to it much of which we don't understand because it's a different culture than what we have today the first part of the wedding celebration actually begins with the betrothal where a man a young man is interested in a woman and he sees her and is like, oh, yes, Lord, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, for loving me. May it be according to me, oh, Lord. And gets his eyes wide open and starts going and talking to this girl's husband, uh, father and says, excuse me, sir, I'd like to marry your daughter. He says, oh, yeah, pony up, buddy. Write a big check and let's talk. Show me how much you love my daughter. Show me how you can take care of her because I'm not just entrusting my prized possession with any schmuck. Uh, some of you are like, I'm taking some notes. This is really good. I've got daughters and like, I need a bigger gun and I need a really, really high value. Like, what kind of job, J-O-B, does this boy got? What kind of man is he going to be? There was a proving process that was taking place. But once the father agreed, he would pour a cup of wine. And the young man who would be the new uh, groom-to-be would take the cup of wine and drink it, sealing and signifying a covenant that was now being made. Does that remind you of anything else biblically that happens? Where Jesus says, take this cup of a new covenant. We just celebrated it here a little bit before we came to the word. 
the end of our worship time, we took communion. That cup symbolizes the beginning of a new relationship and covenant. And then you know what happens after he drinks the covenant? He says, thanks, I'll see you later. And the, and the groom-to-be leaves. And he goes back to his father's house. And he begins to build a room and prepare a space that he and his new bride-to-be will get to live and be a part of. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 14 when he says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be with me where I am. Jesus is using betrothal marriage language that they would have understood. He's going to build a space. And when the room is ready, he's coming back to receive his bride, to receive his people, to receive his beloved. And then when the, groom is, when the room is all ready, the groom returns to where the bride is. But the bride isn't by herself. The bride is there with her bridesmaids because girls do everything in groups. No, they would wait and they would wait. And then when they would hear the herald trumpet, the announcement that the bridegroom is coming, they would awake, get ready, and they would usher with the groom. They would meet the groom, celebrating and cheering and dancing and music as they would go and introduce the bride and the groom together. And once they are united, they would go in and have a party. They would feast and eat and the marriage supper would commence. This is what Jesus is talking about and referring to. This is what was happening here in this wedding, in this setting. And here, waiting for the return of the bridegroom, were these 10 bridesmaids. Friends, all 10 of them were in the wedding party. All 10 of them were there for a purpose. All 10 of them knew they were to wait for the bridegroom to come. All 10 of them fell asleep. In other words, they all lived normal lives. It, it's okay to live. We talked about it. Jesus wants you to live a normal life. You don't need to be so end times minded that you are no earthly good. Right? You don't need to create a new bunker, start stockpiling frozen and, and, and non-perishable foods. You don't, need to, you don't need to go crazy. Live a normal life. As an ambassador representing the fullness of God. And the life of God. You don't have to live on high alert. You don't need to take Red Bull and stay awake because, oh my gosh, he's coming. He's coming. I've got to be ready. Got to be ready. Got to be ready. Is he here now? Is he coming now? I don't know. He's got to come now. Surely that's what that means. He's going to come. I saw on the news that this was going to happen and this was going to happen. Oh my gosh, high alert. Red alert. Red alert. Jesus is coming back, everybody. Don't be a fool. It's not how you have to live, it's not how Jesus wants you to live. Listen, all 10 of them knew he was coming. All 10 of them were there waiting for the purpose. All 10 of them knew they needed a lamp. All 10 of them knew they needed the light to be burning and shining. But only five of them fueled their lamp properly. Only five of them had enough oil. Only five of them were truly prepared. Only five of them had procured enough in their own preparation to enter into the party at the end of time. Friends, hear me really, really clear. There are some parts to the Christian life no one can do for you. 
you have to do it for yourself. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about trying to earn something from God. I'm talking about being prepared and making space and cultivating something. What did Jesus, what in the parable, he looked at them, the five that didn't have enough, who had to go out and buy more at the last minute, who thought they had enough time to always be ready, and they thought what they had was enough. They thought their one little prayer, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, Lord, I, I confess my sins. I, I'm praying the sinner's prayer. They thought just praying a prayer, that's enough to get me there. They thought, if I go to church, if I'm there, I'm going to round the things and I give some money things. That's enough. That's enough oil. That's enough of what I need. I don't really need more. I got enough. I mean, it's burning right now. I mean, I've got my, this little light of mine. I'm going to, you know, let it shine. It's enough. It's all I need. I mean, I just prayed the prayer. I mean, it's all God anyways. There's nothing I need to do in this process. Friends, there are some parts of the Christian life you must procure and pursue for yourself. No one can get you more oil. You got to get your own oil. You can't have my oil. I need my oil. You need your own oil. You need your own oil. You need your own fuel for your own light. I can't fuel your light for you. I can pray for you. I can impart it to you. I can teach you how to pursue it, where to go to get it. I can give you next steps. I can help you find the fresh start pathway to discover God on your own. I can help you uh, join a connect group and create as many opportunities as I possibly can. We can have a team that leads you into the presence of God. We can take care of your kids, teach them about Jesus on their level, give you resources to disciple your own kids in your own life. But we can't get your oil for you. You got to get it. Well, I really like that church. They got good music. The pastor dress is kind of weird, but, you know, I, I kind of I find myself at a place where, you know, I'm just not really getting fed anymore. That's because you show up without a fork. Did you bring a plate? You writing anything down? You, you plan to digest it and process it and apply it to your life? Or is it just going to be, oh, that's good. I like that. That's pretty entertaining. I'm not really getting fed. Since when is one meal a week going to fuel you for all of your week? There are some components to the Christian life that you have to participate and pursue on yourself. It's on you, not on me. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. And some of us are living our lives assuming that's enough oil. But you know what happens when you assume, right? Good, I'm glad. We'll move on. (laughs) I want you to see something. There are many scholars who believe that the oil represents good works. Actually, I think it goes beyond that. There are some who don't think that it has much meaning at all. I, I, I would disagree. I believe the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Why? Because throughout all of Scripture, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is the source code that even enables you to do the good works that you need to do that develop your own faith. It's the Holy Spirit who is the source code that rewrites your internal coding to help you live a godly life. All throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is personified by wind, breath, oil, fire, the grace, presence, a dove, light, and new wine. 
in ancient Near East, in Israel's time, the centrality and the need for oil made it a fruitful symbol for the Bible writers to use of divine favor. Oil represented favor. It represented abundance. It represented flourishing. It represented the presence of something that helped you shine and grow and lean in. The presence, it was oil represented divine favor. And I've said it from the very beginning. There is nothing more favorable that you can occur in your life than receiving the fullness of the Spirit's work in your life. In other words, favor of God is not a nicer car, not a bigger house, not debt-free. The favor of God is not found in all of, all, all of your life being perfect and wonderful and put together and beautiful and amazing. The, the favor of God is not operating or indicative of things in your life. The favor of God represents the presence of God in your life, which is the Holy Spirit, which he said he would give you as a free gift and be with you forever. It is the tangible, realized, personal personal relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. That's the favor. That's the oil. That's what it represents. Revelation 22 verse 5 says, there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun for the Lord God himself will shine on them. Number six, verse 25, we say this phrase almost every week when we dismiss as benediction over one another. Number 625, the Lord makes his face to shine upon you. Have you ever seen someone receive oil or be anointed with oil? They get a little dab on their forehead and their forehead be shiny. In fact, in Bible days, when they would anoint a king, you know what they would do? It wasn't a little dabble, do you? They just dumped the whole thing out. And the oil would run everywhere, cascading down. Their whole face would shine and shimmer and be oily because it represented the fullness of the anointing, the presence, the shining face of God being in their direction and with them. Jeremiah 31, 12, I love this verse. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be, what's that word? Radiant. What's our theme for the year? Being the radiant people of God. They will be radiant because of the Lord's, don't miss this, good gifts. The abundance of grain new wine, and olive oil. What? No, no, scratch that. Who is the good gift Jesus said he would give us when he departs? The Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 16 says, in that same way, let your good deeds shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not. Come on, there's a little 80, uh, 90s Christian love for some of you out there. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. 
abundantly. Somebody say abundantly. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Matthew 5, 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst. What, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that the light of your life is fueled by the Holy Spirit. You need the oil in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in work, working in, filling you, overfilling you with the life of God every day. There were some who were like, oh, yeah, I have some oil. You're right. See, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the spirit moved into your soul. He moved in. He lives in you. Every believer. Ten bridesmaids. Five had some oil. Oh, but five, come on, had more than enough for their life and relationship with God. Don't be a fool. You need more than just one moment with the Holy Spirit called salvation. You need a life of relationship with the Holy Spirit. An ongoing. God, listen, listen. God's supply is not limited to a one moment with God. God has an unlimited supply. The problem in this story was not that they were short supply of the oil itself. It was that some, the supply that some had procured was in short supply because they knew they could go get more. They just didn't, don't miss this, put the effort in before he returned. They didn't put the extra effort to procure more oil before he returned. They were not prepared with prudence. They were foolish in their preparation, thinking, I've got enough. I got enough. I got enough strength. I got enough faith. I got enough fidelity. I've got, I've got enough. I've been to church. I've been there. I've been to a group. I've gone through growth track. I mean, I've done, I've done enough. I've been to church a lot. I've done those things. I'm good. I've got enough. I've got enough. Do you? Do you? See, because what I read is that the days are only getting darker, and you need to keep shining your light. And this little light of yours better be shining. And the only way your light keeps shining is if you keep fueling it. And the fuel that you need is the Holy Spirit within you. Listen, your relationship with God is as strong as you want it to be. Your relationship with God is as weak as you want it to be. Your oil is as full as you want it to be. And your oil is as limited as you want it to be. There is wisdom and there is foolishness. See, friends, this is what I love uh, about what's happening in Asbury and the revival and the moments that are taking place. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was a normal chapel service on Asbury College University in Kentucky. And uh, after the service, uh, the chapel was over. There were some students who just decided to stay and linger. And they made repentance and prayed and just were seeking the Lord. They were making some room in their own heart and life. And then 
surely other people started to join them and slowly more joined and after before the end of the day it was a packed house and then it went on all night and it didn't stop and for multiple weeks now this has been the pattern people have shown up and said God have your way God we want more of you God we're lingering with you God we're saying we don't want just a little bit of oil we want an abundance of oil we don't want just a little bit of a relationship with you we want all of you friends the oil will cost you your life and if you are willing to lay down your life to receive the life of God you will flourish but what does it profit a man or a woman to gain all of life the world tells you you need but yet your soul is forfeited to hell what is it good it's going to cost you something. God will always show up and fill the spaces that have made room. God will always show up to the people who say, God, I want you. God will always show up where he's wanted. My question is, what is it that you're wanting in your life? Friends, this is why we're putting together the journey to Easter stuff. The church globally is in a season of Lent. Lent is 40 days leading up to Easter. It started last Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. As a church, we are focusing and inviting you into a four-week journey for you to personally make a commitment to spend time with God and to fast and to create space of communion with other people by having gatherings once a week for four weeks in your home. Two components to it. And they'll guide you through it all. And, and, and the home gatherings are really just get some people together, have dinner, enjoy, laugh a lot. And the home liturgy with prayer and scripture reading and communion together takes maybe eight to ten minutes. And we recommend doing it at the end of your time together. Wow, Pastor, it sounds like a lot. I mean, four weeks. I mean, fasting. I mean, I know, I know you said that we're going to change up the fast every week, but four weeks, man, that's a, that's a lot. Really? I thought you wanted more oil. I, th- I, th- I thought you wanted to be the one walking with wisdom and not walking in folly. You can have the relationship with God that you want, but there is wisdom and prudence to being prepared. And that's part of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Friends, you can try and live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, but you will come up short. Well, pastor, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Bro, you need the Holy Spirit to survive middle school pickup. (laughs) And all the parents of middle schoolers said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right? Like, you, yeah, you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven, but you need the Holy Spirit to live as an ambassador in this world right now. You need the Holy Spirit to fuel the lamp of your life right now. You need the Holy Spirit to live and move and parent the way he needs you to parent, to help your kids grow in the wisdom and the life of God. You need the Holy Spirit in your Christian life, absolutely. And without it, you will come up short. Watch how Galatians talks about it. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil. Which, in case you were wondering, is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants you to desire. These two forces are constantly at war within you. It's either the Spirit or your flesh. It's either Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly. 
It's either having oil in your lamp or running out on your own. It's wisdom or it is folly. It is the spirit or it is flesh. And he summarizes it at the end of Galatians 5 saying, so since living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our life. Because it's the oil that you need. It's the oil that you need. It is the oil. He is the oil. The question then is, Pastor, well, how, how do we live full of the Holy Spirit? How do we get our oil filled? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? Number one, really simple, ask. Scripture says you have not because you've never asked. Look at Jesus' words in Luke 11. You fathers, if your children asks for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts, what kind of gifts? Good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask him. Simple question. Open book test. Who can receive the Holy Spirit? Anyone? Anyone who asks. Yeah, Pastor, um, you're saying the Holy Spirit a lot, and you're talking about power a lot, but like, um, I thought like the Holy Spirit was only in those churches where they handled snakes and like did crazy things. I don't know, according to Jesus, snakes have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's actually not the good gift that he's talking about. He actually has a good thing for you. I don't know. If God of the universe says he has something for me and it's good, I'm in. I want to ask for it. I want to ask for him. Well, pastor, isn't this just talking about salvation? The moment of your salvation, the Bible says during baptism, his spirit comes and dwells on the inside of you. But a little dab won't do you. That's why number two, not only do you need to ask to receive the spirit, number two, you need an ongoing relationship with the spirit. Ongoing. Cultivating it again and again. It's, it's not about getting your ticket punched to heaven and escaping hell. I said my prayer, did my thing, went down front. Great. You're going to run out of oil. Because what you feed is what's fueling your life. You can feed your spirit or you can feed your flesh. That's the subject. Ephesians 4.23 says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He goes on to say in Ephesians later on, he says, so be careful then how you live. <laughs> I hope you're going to pick this up. I can't make it any more obvious. I, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But rather like those who are wisdom, folly. Folly. 
spirit, flesh. How do you know, pastor? Well, let's get keep going. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What does he want you to do? Well, he doesn't want you to get drunk because Jesus said, don't do that. That's, that's not good waiting. That's not good prudence in your life because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the original language, that phrase, be filled, grammatically, it would be more accurate to read, be being filled. Live in a perpetual place where you are continually drinking and filling and fueling your life before God. That's why he says, be careful to do it. Keep filling yourself. I'm not saying you have to get resaved every week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a continual moment of yielding to the spirit that is already in you so that he fills you, leads you, guides you, and you walk in the spirit instead of walking in your flesh. So that you can fill yourself with the oil and you procure the oil that he has for you rather than thinking, I've got enough. I don't need more. Think So that you live in a place that says, God, I want to be with you. I long to spend time in your presence. I want to read your word. I want to commune in prayer with you. I want to pursue you in worship. God, I want to be obedient to your ways. I want to love the people around me. That would be wise to be being filled not rather than God. I need to finish season three of Outer Banks. God, I need to get out and start working in my yard. God, I need to go do this. Man, I need to spend some time doing this and this and this. You can feed what you want to feed. He won't make you feed the real thing. But there is wisdom to feeding your spirit. There is life and strength and flourishing that comes when you feed your spirit. Does that mean we like avoid the world, go all live in a compound, dress the same, act the same, and shun all of the world? No, we're called to live in our world as ambassadors full of light. What it means is that we don't live in our own strength, but rather we live in the strength of the spirit, staying filled up every day. We are be being filled with the Spirit, singing to one of their psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making music in our heart to the Lord. We're not neglecting the spiritual gift that was given to us, First Timothy. We're going to stir up and fan into flames the gift of faith through the Spirit that was given to us, Second Timothy 1, Jude 20. We're going to build each other up in our most holy faith by praying in the power of the Spirit. We're going to feed our spirit, not our flesh. How do we have this ongoing, continual filling? Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. These five practices. Love the Lord with all your heart. That's your worship. Love the Lord with all your mind. That's getting in God's word. Love your heart with all of your soul. That's spending time in prayer and communion with the Lord. Love him with all of your strength. That's actually obeying what his word says. And loving your neighbor as yourself is being kind and gracious and caring for one another in a way that produces hospitality among the family and people of God. Those five things is how you feed your spirit. How you procure an increase in the life of God within you. How you yield. How you develop a friendship and relationship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because um, 
because it's wise to wait with anticipation, not isolation. And you need the advocate to keep you company as you await for his return. See, because those who wait in isolation thinking they have enough will one day hear the Savior say, depart from me. I don't know you. It's a statement of relationship. Who are you in relationship with? Yourself? The world? Or are you feeding your spirit and developing a relationship with the Lord? You can have whatever kind of relationship with God you decide to pursue. I can't make it for you. You pursue it. You cultivate it. You fan it into flames. You feed yourself. You feed your spirit. It's yours. It's your relationship to feed and fuel. I don't want to stand. At the end of my life. Because I'm standing on my own. You're standing on your own. And I don't want to be like those in Matthew 7 where they were like, hey, uh, Jesus, but I casted a demon out in your name. Been there, done that. I told other people about you. Yep, kind of by my profession. And him still look and say, yeah, sorry, Matthew. I don't know you. It's possible to do the things that you think that you've got enough oil, but rather than cultivating and feeding the spirit of God within you so that you grow in this relationship, the point is the relationship with God, not religious activity. It's about pursuing all that God has, all of who he is, allowing him to become a consuming fire, awaiting the spirit of God in your life so that he empowers you to live a godly life. You need more oil. You need the oil of the Spirit in your life. Would you stand? Acts 17 says that it's in Him, in the Spirit, that we live and move and find our very being. He's the one that animates the life of God in us. Helps us cultivate this life of God. Here's my question. Have you ever asked for the Spirit to fill you? Because anybody can. And he's willing to give to anyone who asks. So the question is, have you asked? Have you asked lately? Have you asked for a refilling? That's what we want to do today. Would you just bow your heads for just a second? And for those that you know, man, I I want more oil. I need more oil. I don't want to be limited in that. I, I, I want this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Would you just begin to cry out to the Lord right where you're at and just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Would you say, come, Holy Spirit, come, come, Holy I can't pray the prayer for you. You have to pray the prayer on your own. It's your relationship with God. It's your life that you're asking him to fill. Just, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Holy Spirit, I yield. I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I need you in my life. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill? It's not a mental prayer. It's a verbal prayer. It's a verbal asking God to give you this gift. It's a verbal asking of who he is. It's a good gift. It's what you need. It's the very thing that secures your life and your eternity. It's the, he's the very one who comes 
comes and sustains and strengthens. Lord, come, Holy Spirit. We need you. God, we need you to be faithful. We need to feed our spirit rather than feed our flesh. God, we long to walk in relationship with you. God, we long to see your kingdom come. God, we long to know that you're moving among us. God, we want to be people of worship, people of prayer, people of the word, people who obey, people who show hospitality to those around us, not selfish individuals in isolation trying to get there on our own. God, we're waiting for you, but we don't want to wait in isolation. God, we long for your advocate to fill us and sustain us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we yield to you. We surrender to you. We say yes to you today. God, help us to not live assumptive lives thinking, ah, we're good enough. We've done enough. But rather create a hunger in us for a stronger relationship with you, more of you in our lives. Can we say more of you and less of us? More of you, less of us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a prayer you can pray every day. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because I need him every day. Amen? We do too. Hey, let's speak blessing over one another. Can we do that? Nice and strong. It's on the screen. Let's bless one another today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Hey, we love you. Go in God's grace and peace. If you need prayer, our team's available. You ready to take a next step? They'd love to help you do that. We love you. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.